You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. To Ask Concussion Doc episode number 19. We're almost playing. Getting up there. Getting up there. Um, this week, we wanted just to discuss the uh, most recent um, CDC guidelines for pediatric concussion that was published in JAMA Pediatrics. Uh, I believe it just came out yesterday. Um, so, this is kind of the new news of the day. Um, we did have a couple questions, but we're going to move those maybe to next week and just kind of discuss. An overview of these new recommendations being the kind of most important concussion news of the week. So the guideline is called Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Guideline on the Diagnosis and Management of Mild Traumatic Brain Injury Among Children. Uh, we are going to go over some of the highlights of this particular document and talk about some of the, uh, the rationale behind some of the recommendations. Uh, and also kind of some of the media coverage that's been, that's been portrayed on it. Uh, one point that I would like to um, make on these guidelines um, is just how they were structured, just so that those of you that um, are going to take a look at it, you can find it. It's available online for free uh, at jamanetwork.com uh, in the pediatric section. But what they did is they went through the process with various advisory committees uh, and they set their recommendations um, for levels. So they had um, uh, their confidence in the particular research that was included as high, moderate, low, or very low. And then the strength of the recommendation that was provided as level A being the highest, B, C, U, or R for each recommendation. And that's obviously in um, um, level of significance. So level A was... Um, something that they, they, you know, healthcare practitioners should be doing. Uh, level B is something that they, they may do or um, uh, can do. And then obviously as you go down, down the level, um, that classification or recommendation decreases um, over time. So level A, they said recommendation almost always should be followed. Level B, recommendation usually should be followed. Level C, recommendation may sometimes be followed. Level U, insufficient evidence to make a recommendation. And level R, the intervention generally should not be done outside of a research setting. And so there's some important details uh, within this document, and they covered um, a variety of different uh, components around diagnosis, treatment, management, uh, that type of thing. And so I'm going to go through the highlights and kind of discuss our take on some of them today. So the first thing that came out was that x-rays and CT scans are not effective at diagnosing concussion. This is something that many of you have heard me discuss on this program a number of times. Um, those particular items are meant for diagnosing more significant things than concussion. So those are things to look for, brain bleeds, skull fractures, that type of thing. Concussion is a functional injury. And these are structural imaging techniques, and therefore they should not necessarily be used to diagnose or rule in or rule out a concussion, but they are important for looking at more significant or serious brain injuries. And what they recommend is that healthcare professionals should use validated clinical decision rules to identify children with MTDI at low risk 
for um, head, um, uh, intracranial injury in which CT is not recommended. So there's guidelines and, and decision rules to help you. And the one that's used in pediatrics is called the Pediatric Emergency Care Applied Research Network Decision Rules, or the PECARN, P-E-C-A-R-N, uh, decision rules, which uh, kind of guide your decision as to who needs to get a CT scan. And such risk factors and who should be getting a CT scan include uh, patients that are younger than two years of age, vomiting, loss of consciousness, severe mechanism of injury, severe or worsening headache, amnesia, non-frontal scalp hematoma, Glasgow coma scale less than 15, and that's usually two or three hours after the injury, and or a clinical suspicion of skull fracture. Uh, they put that as level B evidence, but level one recommendation around CT scans was that healthcare professionals should not routinely obtain head CT scans for diagnostic purposes in children with MTDI. And another point that I want to make on this document is that they suggest that the terms concussion, mild head injury, and mild traumatic brain injury all be lumped into one and be called mild traumatic brain injury, just so that we're all talking about the same thing. So they use the term MTDI throughout this document, and that was a recommendation that was made. Um, so routine use of CT scans is not recommended can be used in scenarios where there is a high suspicion of intracranial injury, and that is okay. Same goes for MRI, uh, just because the evidence is, is really not there to detect the concussion, so it should not be routinely ordered um, in that. X-rays, I mean, X-rays just have a really poor sensitivity. They identify the sensitivity of identifying skull fracture uh, at only about 63%. Uh, so if you are suspecting a skull fracture, x-ray is not the way to go, you want a CT scan. Um, neuropsychological tools including symptom scales. Healthcare professionals, this is level A recommendation, healthcare professionals should use an age-appropriate validated symptom rating scale as a component of the diagnostic evaluation. Uh, recommendation B, healthcare professionals may use validated age-appropriate computerized cognitive testing in the acute period of injury as a component of the diagnosis of MTBI. So, symptom scales should always be used, and in certain circumstances, healthcare professionals can use uh, computerized neurocognitive testing. Biomarkers. So, this is blood tests, saliva tests, and that type of thing. Um, there's been a lot of coverage about concussion blood tests, and we get that question a lot. Uh, for I think it's probably one of the most commonly submitted questions we get for Ask Concussion Doc is, you know, what do you think about serum biomarkers for concussion? What about this new concussion blood test? There is no concussion blood test. Again, the blood test has been approved by the FTA to detect the potential signs of a brain bleed. So because you have protein floating around the blood uh, that is from the brain, the idea of how it got there was that potentially there's a bleed in the brain, and that might help to rule out who may need or may not need a CT scan. And this is all to cut down on the level of radiation exposure to um, you know kids or athletes or people in general, is we don't want to expose somebody to radiation if we can avoid it. And so the idea behind these blood tests is to potentially help us make a decision as to who should get the CT scan and who shouldn't get the CT scan. So these biomarkers are not meant for um, not meant for diagnosing concussion. And so the level of recommendation here is R, which um, is that it's not recommended. Healthcare professionals should not use biomarkers outside of a research setting for the diagnosis of children 
with MTDI or concussion. Insufficient evidence to currently recommend any of the standard biomarkers for the diagnosis of MTDI in children, and blah, blah, blah. It goes into a full rationale as to why they made that decision, so I won't go into that um, anymore. Prognostic recommendations, uh, level A uh, evidence. Healthcare professionals should counsel patients and families that most children, 70 to 80% with concussion, do not show significant dif uh, difficulties that last more than one to three months. Basically, people will get better. Kids will get better after concussion. This is not a permanent injury that will you know, cause long-lasting effects in the majority of people. Healthcare professionals should counsel patients and families that although some factors predict an increase or decrease risk of prolonged symptoms, each child recovery from MTBI is unique and will follow its own trajectory. Concussions are different. Everyone will respond differently. It's very difficult for us to tell you how long it's going to be. People say, well, how long till I'm better? We don't know. You'll be better when you're better. There are some potential things, such as what's discussed here later, is pre-existing history of mental health. Uh, issues, so anxiety, depression, that can prolong recovery, that is something we know. Younger children may have prolonged recovery, but we don't know if that's uh, in fact due to the injury itself or whether that's due to uh, the cautiousness of some healthcare providers. So there are some things that can prolong recovery, but for the most part everyone will get better. Um, prognosis related to pre-morbid conditions. Health professionals should assess the pre-morbid um, history of children either before injury or as part of pre-participation athletic examination. So as part of the baseline um, testing uh, should examine pre-morbid history of various conditions um, for kids, that is level B evidence. Again, level B evidence. Healthcare professionals should counsel children and families completing pre-participation athletic examinations and children with MTBI as well as their families that recovery from MTBI may be delayed in those with the following. Pre-morbid history of concussions, so having concussions previously. Lower cognitive ability for children with an intracranial lesion. Neurological or psychiatric disorders. Learning disabilities. Uh, increased pre-injury symptoms. So um, if they have a high symptom burden before the injury, they may have a high symptom burden after the injury. And also family and social stressors. They found things such as low socioeconomic status can lead to uh, prolonged recovery as well. Uh, cumulative risk factors, level B evidence, healthcare professionals should screen for known risk factors for persistent symptoms in children with MTBI. Uh, there was a, a big study from Canada by Roger Zemeck's group that, that um, highlighted some of those variables that may be included in some of those risk factors. Uh, I think more research is needed to understand those risk factors completely. Do, do, do. Assessment tools and prognosis, uh, level B recommendation. Um, healthcare professionals should use a combination of tools to assess recovery. So a lot of times, and we speak to a lot of healthcare professionals who may just use one element like the you know, computerized neurocognitive testing, but those type of tests fall short because you need a battery of, of tests. And so this is kind of highlighting that and saying you should use a combination of tools. There's no one test, like you can't just do a balance test and say, well, this person has recovered. Um, so what we do here, we have a nine 
nine test battery, including then on top of that neurocognitive component for those that are um, uh, 13 years or older, just because that's where the tests have been validated. And we also use things like physical exertion metrics, putting them on the treadmill, also running through the Chicago Blackhawks test and some, some other kind of tests like that. So a variety of tools to help assess the recovery level of a child before letting them return to sport is what is recommended. Healthcare professionals should use validated symptom scales to assess recovery in children with MTBI. That's also level B evidence. Uh, level C evidence. Healthcare professionals may use validated cognitive testing, including measures of reaction time, to assess recovery in children with MTBI. Rationale, no single assessment tool is strongly predictive of outcome in children with MTBI. However, multiple tools have shown utility in the assessment of individual patients and their recovery from MTBI. Symptom scales and cognitive testing, including measures of reaction time, have the strongest evidence in terms of contribution to predicting outcomes and assessing recovery. Less evidence supports balance testing as a predictor for prognosis in children, but it has shown utility in older adolescent athletes. Uh, interventions for people with poor prognosis. Healthcare professionals should closely monitor children with concussion who are determined to get high risk for persistent symptoms based on their pre-morbid history, demographics, and or injury characteristics, level B evidence. Uh, for children whose symptoms do not resolve with expected, uh, as expected with standard care, so within four to six weeks, healthcare professionals should provide or refer for appropriate assessments and or interventions. And a lot of those interventions are around the therapy side of things. So exercise has been shown to be beneficial. Visual and vestibular therapy has shown to be beneficial. Uh, treatment of the cervical spine, both with rehabilitation and manual therapy, have shown to be uh, effective in the treatment of symptoms that are persistent for concussion. And this is where the therapists get involved in concussion management for, for sure. Um, we include them right from the get-go, uh, but because if there's issues that aren't really going away, we can start initiating that rehab even earlier than four to six weeks, which has shown to improve outcomes. And so um, this is where those you know, physiotherapists that aren't sure what their role is, um, you can get involved with this quite early in the process. Uh, management treatment, um, recommendations, you should provide education and reassurance. That's a big part of concussion management. I think with media coverage that's out there right now around concussions, it's making everyone very scared in terms of you know the long-term effects and the risks of potential fatalities and you know all that stuff. I think that it's important that we educate our patients and help to ease the mind, reduce the anxiety, potentially reduce the symptom burden just based on providing them with a lot of education and reassurance that they will get better. Cognitive and physical rest versus aerobic treatment. Now, I will say that this study does still encourage a little bit of rest. Um, however, they say that it's basically within the first three days or so. Healthcare professionals should counsel patients to observe a more restrictive physical and cognitive activity during the first several days after MTBI in children. Next recommendation, following these first several days, healthcare professionals should counsel patients and families to resume a gradual schedule of activity that does not exacerbate symptoms with close monitoring of symptom expression. 
After successful resumption of gradual schedule of activity, healthcare professionals should offer an active rehabilitation program of progressive reintroduction of non-contact aerobic activity that does not exacerbate symptoms with close monitoring of symptom expression. So they do still kind of promote the rest thing, but then they are talking about active rehabilitation. And then when you go into the rationale, they say there's not enough evidence yet on like active rehabilitation in terms of time, but there's also not a lot of evidence on rest. Now, when you go into how this study was done, they stopped putting in, and I'm just going to go all the way back up to the top here, into the abstract evidence review. The dates of the initial literature search were January 1st, 1990 to November 30th, 2012. The dates of the updated literature search were December 1st, 2012 to July 31st, 2015. That means that the most recent evidence included in this guideline is three years old. So they harp on a little bit of rest and not so much. They have their reserves about physical activity and physical exertion. However, a lot of the newer research published in the last three years is promoting earlier, earlier activation of physical activity. So I would take these guidelines with a bit of a grain of salt and assume that at best they are three years out of date. So there's that. Um, children with undiagnosed concussions are at risk for another one and also having uh, longer uh, recovery times. And that is pretty well it for a summary of those guidelines. They can be found on JAMA Pediatrics, jamanetwork.com. Uh, maybe we'll put a link in show notes uh, for those listening on the podcast, and uh, you can take a look at it. So anyway, that's the big news. I wanted to review that with everyone, just kind of bring everyone up to speed on guidelines. Things that were not mentioned, there was no mention of, uh, of um, uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is another question we get. However, the most recent Neuro Ontario Neurotrauma Foundation guidelines uh, put that as a do not recommend, as most of the evidence shows it is no better than placebo to do hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, and there are some other things that were, that were left of these guidelines as well. Um, anyway, that's it for today and um, send in some more questions for us and uh, we'll be back next week with public Q&A. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.